Have you ever wanted someone to walk alongside you as you do the thing? You know, the thing that makes your heart come alive and leaves our world more like Jesus than we found it. I know, and that's why I'm here. My name is Rebecca Dotson-George. I'm a speaker, writer, career coach, and just all around excited to be in your earbuds for the next few minutes. I'm a girl wildly passionate about cheering you on as you make God known in and through your creative mission. Here's the thing though, I know sometimes you can get discouraged. I'm not good enough. I don't know where to start. I can't do as good of a job as she's doing. These are all lies that we sometimes believe and I'm here to help you debunk those lies that are ruling your mind about your mission and replace them with truth from God's word. So. Buckle up, because I'll gather up my favorite seasoned and rising leaders in their fields to share inspirational stories, strategic advice, and hard-won wisdom. Welcome to the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. Do you ever get to the end of a podcast and just think, man, I am not done with that conversation. Girl, me too. And I love hearing from you about how not only the show is encouraging you, but also what God is stirring up in you as a result. And I just really wanted the opportunity to connect one-on-one with more of you. And that's why I've created a Patreon community. Patreon is an online platform that hosts bonus content and provides creators a way to hang out with their audience in a more intimate way. So here's how I'm going to use it. There are three tiers. First is the bestie tier, which will include access to the platform and extra conversations with all our guests that only Patreon besties will get to hear. These questions will not be shared here on your podcast platform. Then there's the VIP party tier. This includes the bestie tier and you get invited to a VIP party once a month on Zoom where we get to hang out, get to know one another better and maybe do some coaching in a group session from time to time. And then finally, there is the calling coach tier. In this tier, you'll be able to access the previous tiers, plus have a 30-minute coaching call per month with me to talk about anything podcast, ministry, or career related. How fun does this sound? So come on over to Patreon by downloading the app or visiting patreon.com and search Do The Thing Movement. I can't wait to meet you inside the community. Have you ever just wanted someone to walk alongside you as you do the thing? The thing that makes your heart come alive and leaves our world just a little bit more like Jesus than we found it. I'm a girl wildly passionate about cheering on my friends in the pursuit of making God known through their unique calling. So buckle up because I'll gather up my favorite seasoned and rising leaders in their fields to share inspirational stories, strategic advice, and hard-won wisdom. I'm your host, Rebecca Dotson-George, and welcome to the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. You're listening to another episode of the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. The music in the background is the song Yours by Katie Hurst, so if you have not already checked out her music, definitely go give it a listen. And today I'm so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Nicole Zazowski, author of From Lost to Found, giving up what you think you want 
for what will set you free. And Nicole is a licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, and speaker based in the state of Connecticut, where she lives with her husband and two young boys. And we had the most fun conversation about her new book that came out this year. And I'm so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Nicole. Okay, Nicole, I am super excited to have you on the show today to talk about your new book, From Lost to Found, Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. I'm so excited about this message, so I'd love for you to just jump off and start by telling us a little bit about your story and kind of what led to the book. Absolutely, and first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here with you. Um, the story really kicked off about, I would say, 10 years ago. Um, I was living a life that I didn't know could be largely characterized by comfort and my own control. I was very much um, unknowingly living this narrative that if I can just work hard enough, mm. I can make the life that I want happen for myself. Um, I had a strong relationship with Christ my whole life, um, but I didn't realize that I was adding things to him and those extra things were what really held my value and sense of security. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I confronted my own painful season, you know, I was a marriage and family therapist, very, still am, <laughs> but very passionate about helping others find peace and joy outside of circumstance. But I had no idea that I was living outside of that freedom um, personally. And so it wasn't until I confronted my own season of pain and loss um, that I realized for myself what I knew to be true for my clients. And certainly in that season, which arguably I, I could still be in, but it's about nine years of just a lot of pain, a lot of loss, a lot of change, a lot of transition and all the feelings that come with that. Um, I lost tangible things, but in what I now recognize to be God's graciousness to me, I also lost all of those props to my faith and the false securities um, that had promised way more than they could deliver. And I was left with empty hands to receive what God had been longing to give all of us all along. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I love seeing in your writing and just hearing you speak is just the term emotional freedom that God's really gifted you in helping people kind of define and find that for themselves. So would you care to define kind of what that means to you and the steps maybe maybe some practical examples of how you've gotten there or how you help others kind of step into that. Absolutely. Um, for me, and, and I think it can look a lot of different ways, but when I think of emotional freedom, I think of knowing my significance and knowing my security outside of my circumstances. And so I used to see uh, peace and joy always on the far side of a dream realized or a goal achieved. Um, you know, that hard work earning me the life that I had built with my own two hands. 
Um, and now I recognize emotional freedom to be peace and joy as something that I can choose. I can choose hope. Life may not feel happy, but I can have joy. Life may not feel calm, but we can have peace. Um, and really recognize, I, I think the biggest in terms of a practical step is, um, being able to honor our feelings and recognize that they are real. Like we can't eradicate painful feelings from our lives. The human experience is, is still like to be human is to, to feel those things, whether that's inadequate or unsafe or powerless, whatever those buttons are for you. Um, but there is a difference between feelings being real and feelings being true. Mm. And so I can honor that feeling and say, yes, that is how I feel. I might have very good reasons for feeling that way. Um, but instead of reacting to that, I am going to speak truth into it. I'm going to claim what I know to be true. And I often have people kind of buck me on that, like, oh, but I don't feel it. The feelings feel more true. And this is where I challenge myself and, and others that I work with to say, we have to claim what we know to be true and act on that because we can think and act our way to a new feeling we cannot feel our way to a new way of thinking and acting. And so this is, it's a discipline. Um, and it's a discipline for me. I'm, I'm very much speaking from the mud pit on this one. Um, but here's what I know to be true, even though this feeling is so strong. And so instead of doing what I always do, performing and pleasing my way out of that feeling, I'm going to, I'm going to relax. I'm going to connect um, vulnerably with other people. Um, or whatever that opposite healthy action is for you. Yeah. Um, so that's one practical step that's really helped me is, is recognizing the difference between feelings being real and true. Yeah. I had somebody share with me a similar statement a few years ago, and it's always stuck with me. It was one of my best friends, and she said, what I'm learning is my feelings are real, but they're not reliable. So huh. in those yeah. times, it's like I can't, I can't rely on the parts of me that aren't yet sanctified or, you know, or leaning into negative thought patterns or toxic thoughts and and those kind of things, but I can stand on and rely on God's word. And sometimes, well, all the time, that should be our default, right? That's huge. I love that. Yeah, I do too. And so kind of when you open, you talked a little bit about you know, the years you lived outside of this, right? And so there were some things that you really held on to, like shame, performance, control, some of these things, you know, you touched on a little bit in order to feel valued and safe. And so could you tell us a little bit about that experience and how that season led you eventually to find this freedom? Yeah, so um, we all have you know, whether we call them coping behaviors or defenses or reactions or even idols. Um, But these things that these behaviors we rely on to protect ourselves from that pain that feels so excruciating. And 
our stories will largely shape what that pain is for us. So we all have about three or four feelings. I would say that we, every time we're in a painful situation, we probably feel those same three or four feelings about 90% of the time. Um, they're not, you're not feeling, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feelings. Most of us have stories that have kind of shaped those wounds. And so for me, shaming myself and then trying to perform and please and perfect my way out of that so that I could prove myself worthy was um, my favorite tricks, were my favorite tricks uh, to protect myself from that pain. And of course, that just leads right back to the very feelings we're trying to avoid in the first place. There's no freedom in that. Um, I describe it as, you know, this kind of shield that maybe was necessary when you were young or, you know, something you used to survive that pain early on. But now that shield is becoming a barrier to meaning and connection as we get older. Um, it's not protecting us from anything. It's actually getting in the way of emotional freedom. Um, and so the, there's four main ways that people protect themselves from pain or react to their pain. Uh, one is blaming other people, getting really angry, raging. Um, another is shaming themselves. Uh, I call Eeyore the poster child of, of shaming, that kind of, you know, pouting and can't take anything good about ourselves in. Um, the third is control. Um, which looks like exactly how you would think it would look like, but also our culture really celebrates a lot of those controlling behaviors, you know, hyper-organized or, you know, in charge, very much performance-oriented. That's why I flew under the radar for so long, is a lot of these things in my life were actually praised and celebrated. Um, and then the fourth one is escape, and we do that in all sorts of ways. We can numb out by drinking and drugging or Netflix or physically leaving, um, sleeping, you know, whatever kind of takes us out for, you know, that temporary numbing. Um, and so most of us do one, two, three, or all four of those things. Yeah. And one of the things that you talk about in the book as well is naming what we fear the most. And so I'd be curious, why is this one of the things that you really wanted your reader to kind of think through and process? And how have you seen the power of this in your own life? Yeah, I, um, one of the reasons that's an important question for me is when we know what we fear losing most, it's a good, it's a good pathway to understanding our wounds. <laughs> um, and the, those feelings that we try so hard to protect ourselves from, or those feelings that are particularly sensitive um, in our lives. And so there, it's also, from a spiritual perspective, a, a good indicator of where some of our idols might be, yeah. um, which are very related to, to the, our feelings. Um, also, and, and the reason there's so much freedom in answering that question, even though it might be hard to look at, um, like, I don't, I don't like that I struggle with feeling good enough. I don't like <laughs> that I struggle with my value being attached to external accomplishments or, or feedback from other people. Um, but we cannot change what we will not name. 
And so there's freedom in looking at it and speaking it and naming it so that we can do something about it. Um, I, I think of that verse in Ephesians, you know, taking off the old and, and putting on the new. Well, we can't, can't take off the old if we don't know what it is that we're taking off. Um, and so I kind of name that as the first step in this journey to mm -hmm. understanding, you know, your own version of the story that I go first telling in, in my book from lost to found. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, back to that whole analogy, we can't put on the new until we're willing to take off the old, right? Like I'm thinking of moments when I've went on a trip and it's like, you can't fit all your clothes in your suitcase. So you, you wear as much as you can on the plane, but you're so uncomfortable because <laughs> you're trying to wear, you know, your coat over your sweater and, and all these layers that you need um, or, or you think you need on your trip. I'm taking this analogy really far, but, um, <laughs> but it, it's uncomfortable because we've not stopped long enough to take off the old. And I think you and I really have been cut from the same cloth just in terms of things that we struggle with. And I would say in the last couple of years, God's really surfaced a lot of things for me that I've in my single life. I didn't get married till I was almost 27. You know, I largely just maybe didn't deal with in terms of people pleasing and feeling not enough and, and things like that. And man, nothing will reveal that in you like marriage <laughs> and somebody walking yeah. with you to point out like, huh, why do you feel that way? You know? And so, um, I think that's one of the reasons I've so enjoyed hearing you speak and, and share your message is because I, I relate to so much of it. And so I'd love to talk about reactive behaviors for a minute. It's another thing that you talk about in the book. So would you kind of define this term for us and then tell us a little bit about how these behaviors often fail us? Yeah. So, um, those are those blame, shame, control, escape behaviors. Um, and often in our culture, we might call them defense mechanisms or reactions. Um, in a, in a weird way that that's where they could be considered idols. <laughs> um, yeah. and you know, anything we do as sort of our knee jerk protection, um, because, we've been triggered in either a feeling about our identity or a feeling about our safety. Pain comes from those two directions. Um, and so when, when our identity is threatened or our sense of safety is threatened, we all do, we all have a tendency to do something um, in that place. And so um, often those are, they're easy to see. That's kind of the above the waterline and the iceberg. And so it's often I, I easier to identify those than it is the feeling because our brain is hardwired when that feeling gets ignited to go straight to that reaction um, or defense behavior. So um, it's, it's automatic. It's not something we think through and contemplate. <laughs> it's, it's a, a neural pathway in your brain. It's practiced. Um, and again, there may be at one point in childhood, I, without knowing every listener's story, there may have been very good reasons that you needed to do what you needed to do um, to protect yourself. 
but I think we have a responsibility as we grow into adulthood um, about whether or not we want to keep doing that. <laughs> and um, sometimes we can get into this place of destructive entitlement where I feel this pain, therefore I can lash out or I can, you know, it, it entitles me to react in this way. And I would just challenge that in myself and other people to say, no, we're still responsible for speaking truth to that pain so that we can do something different that's healthier in our relationship with ourselves and healthier in our relationship with God and other people. Um, and so none of them work. <laughs> um, we, none of them um, grant us that peace and joy and satisfaction that maybe you know, they promise they will. I think I'm thinking of my own with performance and perfectionism. Like, oh, if I can just get this person's approval, or if I can just have this talk I'm giving or this podcast I'm on go really, really well, then I can feel good about myself. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter how well I did either. I feel really good about it. And I'm always afraid of slipping off that pedestal. So I have to perform to stay on it mm -hmm. or I find something to shame myself about. And then I keep performing my way mm -hmm. out of it. it. It does not grant peace and joy. Um, even though I often still I'm working on it, but I often still believe the lie that it will. Um, so and whatever your version is, the same will be true for you. Um, they, they promise way more than they can deliver. Um, they, they will fail. Yeah. How has this journey, this is your first book, right? Am I correct? In yeah. It's my first trade book. Yeah. Okay. How has the journey of releasing a book into the world, what has that brought about in you? Like in this whole sphere that we're talking about, like what have you had to do battle with there? Like what's God taught you that you feel comfortable sharing? Oh, absolutely. I'll share anything. That is just such a big question. Um, because I joke all the time that he had me write this book and then gave me the opportunity to practice everything I wrote. <laughs> in yeah. it. Um, you know, I think about control with it releasing at, at the end of January, 2020, you know, right before COVID really kicked off. And, um, my launch season has looked very different than what I planned. Um, and I'm finally to the place where I'm, I'll be really honest with you. I'm more open-handed about, you know, I'll never know what God did with that. Maybe, yeah you know, the message happens to be very appropriate for, you know, losing what you think you want, losing control, you know, and um, invites us to see the invitation and the cancellation and see the redemption um, in what feels like it's been ruined. Um, and so he's just given me an opportunity in a really gracious, kind way to say, okay, do you still believe mm. that, um, you know, pain we don't prefer uh, brings transformation that you wouldn't trade? And do you mm. still believe that transformation, my, my gracious transformation is the prize yeah. um, and not your own performance? Do, do you still believe that 
Um, our hope is in not the gift, but the, the giver of all gifts, not the gift itself, but, but um, him as the giver. And yes, I do. Um, and so I have to look at my book and say, God, thank you for giving me the chance to write it and do with it what you have planned. It's so much better than what I've got planned. And I may never know this side of heaven, what he does with it. Um, yeah. But I can tell you every time I get a message from a reader, like, oh, I read that chapter at the perfect time or, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've, I've had a lot of miscarriages in, in my journey and the book's not solely about that, but I do talk about it. And, you know, I've had so many readers tell me, I cannot believe I read that chapter right the day after I had a miscarriage. Um, and it brought so much hope and peace. And so he's been so kind and gracious to give me so many glimpses from readers of what the book is doing in hearts and minds. Um, but yes, I have had to practice, uh, my identity not being in the performance of the book or my performance. Yeah. And I love that. I love that God's given you those. That's so redemptive in a time that it's just, it looks so different. Like we talked about before we hit record, I think, our expectations and our, our normal of just, you know, being a planner and, and there's just so many things that have been disrupted by what's going on in the world, but in its place, I think it's given us the opportunity to get back to the root of our, our preferences and, and the way that we're often wired and, how comfortable our lives typically are and really lean on God to um, just transform our thinking and some of, some of those things. And I mean, even for us as a family, my husband's a pastor. And so even the way we do church right now looks very different. Our our home lives look, none of us have ever had this much time with our families. Right. And so, (laughs) you know, there's just so much about life that looks different, but, but, but just because it's different, um, doesn't mean that it's not beautiful and redemptive and hope filled. So before we move on, what other encouragement would you want to give people and, or leave people with from the book? Yeah, I think, um, I think it would follow up on what we were just talking about. You know, 2020 has been a hard year. I had a, a friend describe it really well that we've all weathered the same storm in different boats, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's hit and affected people differently, certainly. Um, but we've all weathered the same storm and I think it's been challenging and, and not what we expected at the very least. And so, um, I would just encourage people to, yes, absolutely. Let's acknowledge what's been lost. And that's so painful. Um, I'm not about putting a silver lining on a cloud at all. Um, But I also believe that God doesn't waste those things and that there is an invitation in what's been canceled and what feels really broken can break us open to a new truth Mm. and a new way, his way (laughs) Mm. Um, that actually brings peace and joy. And I can't help but get a little excited. Not that I'm, I'm calling the pain good, um, 
but I know he's going to work it for good. And he's happy to do that in all of our hearts. And again, with pain, we don't prefer, you know, on the far side of pain, we don't prefer, we find transformation that we would not trade. And I used to kind of look at that as like a consolation prize. Like, sure. I still really want my, <laughs> my way, but okay, I guess I can have this, all this goodness that's going on in my heart and transformation. But you know, these are not consolation prizes. These are precious lessons that only can get realized in the context of pain. Um, and, and I love the way Paul puts it, you know, when he talks about the thorn in his flesh, like he's very honest that I prayed three times for this to be removed, you know, and, and many of us have prayed more times than that. And, and God didn't do it, but you know what? It's the thing that keeps us tethered to the hope of Christ. Yeah. Um, and I know that, that my story, the story on the pages of from lost to found and, and a story that continues, it's the thing that keeps me tethered yeah. to the hope of Christ. Um, and for that, I am grateful because I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be without the hope of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be outside of that awareness. And so that's available to all of us. Mm, yeah. I love it. Well, I am so excited for, for listeners to get their hands on the book. It's so good. And I've just, like I said, multiple times, I've just loved hearing your message. I've listened to other, several other interviews that you've done, and it's just been cool to kind of get to know you. And there is one last question that I ask every guest that comes on the show. It's my favorite. And that is because everybody's answer is so different. And that is what is the best piece of advice that you think you've ever been given? Oh, I've, I've been given so much grace gracious wisdom from people wiser than I, um, what comes to mind right away is I was in a particularly dark season. Um, and it was right around the time it was Advent and it was the week that the hope candle gets lit. And I was talking with my mentor who I mentioned several times in the book. And he said, you know what? Hope. He was reflecting with his wife on hope. And, and they were saying that hope only gets deployed in times of struggle. Mm. And Honestly, friend, I, I am not going to tell you that I'm thankful for the struggle. I, I have a story that I'm not sure I would be brave enough to choose if I was given the choice. Um, but I am really thankful to be a woman who knows hope. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I would just encourage the listener who is walking through their own season of heartache or their own prayer that they're not sure is ever going to get answered the way that they want. Um, that hope only gets deployed in those situations. And you are, you are a person who knows hope. Um, so I have hung, I have clung to that. Um, I don't know if that's technically advice, but it's, yeah, it's been good absolutely. for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Okay, Nicole, tell listeners where they can keep in touch with you, get your book, all the things. Yes, I love hearing from listeners and readers. So um, definitely reach out. My website is Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, uh, Zazowski, Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And I'm just at Nicole Zazowski on Instagram. And I love connecting with people there. 
you can buy the book wherever you love to buy books. Certainly awesome. Amazon, um, you know, your local bookstore can order it for you if they don't have it. Barnes and Noble, it's there. Uh, wherever you like to buy books is great. Perfect. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks for having me. This was so great. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you need anything from me at all, I'm super easy to find Rebecca Dotson George on Instagram and Facebook. I'd love to connect with you and hear how the show is encouraging you. And hey, let's help make it possible for even more listeners to be encouraged by hearing stories of my people doing the thing. There's a couple ways you can do that. One, by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And two, screenshot the show and share it on your Instagram stories. Oh, and make sure you tag me there so we can connect as well. All right. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. And thanks so much for listening to the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I am so thrilled to have you be a part of this community. I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, did you know that when people rate and review podcasts on Apple Podcasts, it actually helps more people come across the show? And when that happens, the messages we're sharing get spread even further and we get to encourage more people. I can't think of anything more fun than that. So it would mean the world to me if you would do something that would take just two minutes of your time. Hop on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a written review. Tell me all about how the show is encouraging you and invite others to listen in. It truly means the world to this girl on the other side of the mic. And then number two, if you're loving the show and want even more content from Do The Thing Movement, hop on over to our Patreon page on your desktop or mobile device to listen to after the show bonus interviews, attend live Zoom parties, and receive extra coaching. Simply download the Patreon app or do it on your desktop device and search Do The Thing Movement. I would love to see you over there in that community. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to be back with you next episode. Same time, same place. Bye, friends.